Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Well, even if you're not a preacher yourself, I'm guessing that maybe on a Sunday or two, as you sat listening attentively to the lessons being read, you may have wondered which one of them the preacher was going to preach on. (laughs) I say that realizing that when, at least when I'm scheduled to be in the pulpit, that may have been the moment when your interest in the sermon reached its peak. But maybe you were sitting on the edge of your pew this morning. What's it going to be, Scott? Paul's spiritual circumcision or... Maybe the Hebrew prophet who marries a prostitute, not because he loves her, but as a living metaphor for the unfaithful people of Israel. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall for those premarital counseling sessions? (laughs) Or will it be the Lord's Prayer? Well, will you think me a coward if I said, uh, yeah, let's go with the Lord's Prayer? I didn't bother to Google it, but... The Lord's Prayer has got to be on the short list for if it's not the clear winner of the most prayed prayer of all time, don't you think? I have prayed it with children, and I've prayed it in the alley behind Calvary with people waiting for a little breakfast and maybe a pair of pants. I've looked up from that altar to see couples take each other's hands as we pray it at communion, maybe as a reminder of their weddings, which is another place I've heard it prayed dozens and dozens of times. And I've seen it on the lips of people in the last moments of their lives, seemingly emptied of all the other words they've ever known, as if they were so much earthly earthly ballast by then. Among the last to remain were our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Those are just a few of the places this preacher's heard and prayed the Lord's Prayer. Can you add those to all the times you've heard it and prayed it and multiply those prayers upon many other multiples across centuries and oceans through countless languages and cultures and maybe just get an inkling of the vastness of the prayer Jesus turned loose into the world when he answered a simple question with a simple prayer one afternoon in Palestine 2,000 years ago. But there's a problem that Jesus' astonishing success in getting people to pray his prayer actually may make worse. Think about it for a minute. In Luke's telling of the story, Jesus doesn't just tell his disciples what to pray, does he? He tells them to ask and to search and to knock because everyone who does gets what they asked and searched and knocked for in their prayers. Well, wait a minute. Anybody here ever said the Lord's Prayer? Anybody here ever prayed for something you didn't get? What gives? And does this actually make the Lord's Prayer the biggest failure in the history of prayer, given the number of times it was voiced and people's lives went right on lacking the things they'd come to God for? Maybe we don't get off so easily as we try to make sense of Jesus' teaching on the nature and the practice of prayer. Versions of the Lord's Prayer, they appear in both Matthew and in Luke. And as you probably noticed, we kind of get the Reader's Digest condensed version in Luke. 
Over in Matthew, the more familiar version appears in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells his listeners not to heap up empty phrases in their prayers like those Gentiles do. Pray like this, he says. But in Luke, it's a different scene, isn't it? An unnamed disciple asks Jesus to teach them how to pray, and Jesus responds with this prayer. But then he goes on with the story. He says, imagine a friend whose door you're banging on at midnight because you need three loaves of the daily bread he's just said we ought to pray for. The friend, who we're pretty sure is the God character here, doesn't say, well, of course. He says, are you kidding me? Do you know what time it is? And then Jesus says that even though this guy won't give you bread at midnight just because he's your friend, well, if you keep on pestering him long enough, He'll get back up and give you what you need. Now, how's that for an edifying image of God? (laughs) Then Jesus says the bit about everybody getting what they ask for. Everybody. He says everyone finds what they seek, and the doors always open to those who knock on them. And then he says, oh, and don't worry, because God's not the kind of God who would give snakes and scorpions to children. That's a pretty low bar for decency, don't you think? Especially for our Heavenly Father with the hallowed name. Again, what what gives? Actually, is it too late to change my mind and go back to that sermon I was going to write on Hosea and the biblical view of marriage? Can I just... To make sense of all of this, we might need to go back to the original request. Do you remember it? Lord, teach us to pray. The disciple didn't ask what God was like. The request was for help down here on the human end of praying. How do we do it? What should we say or expect? What kind of acceptance or persistence or reverence or whatever should we be trying to cultivate in ourselves when we say our prayers? And this changes things, doesn't it? It does for me. Because maybe we're the central subject of Jesus' teaching on prayer, not God after all. Jesus wasn't trying to convince us that God is like a grumpy sleeper who finds our prayers so annoying he answers them just to make us stop. He was telling us to pray with the passion and the persistence of the one banging his fist on the neighbor's door at midnight. He wants whatever was alive in that guy to be alive in us. He wants it to be alive in our prayer which actually makes a lot of sense in the Gospel according to Luke. Think about how many times Jesus marvels at the faith of a Gentile person or or tells a woman that he seems to have healed that actually it's her faith that has made her well. Or tells another that her faith has actually saved her life. Time and again, it's that spark of something he sees in people, especially people in the worst of circumstances. People to whom the world seems to have given nothing but snakes and scorpions that he keeps pointing us to. Do you see it, he says. There it is again in her. Or when it's absent in us, he says, you faithless, perverse generation, you have everything you need and you still can't see it. How much longer must I bear with you? When we stop asking God how to get God, asking how to get God to give us what we want when we pray, and begin to wonder what Jesus wants to come alive in us 
through the practice of prayer, I think we start seeing what Jesus was telling about, talking about in lives all around us all the time. Even as this broken down world seems to be breaking down only further by the day. On Thursday, Ardell and I were sitting on the couch talking about the aforementioned broken downness and unjustness of this world, especially for those who seem to have the least when Ardell got a text from our friend Evelyn back in Arkansas. Now, I could go on and on to you about the beautiful soul that is our friend Evelyn. Suffice to say, she is gentle and joyful and wise. She's also been in recovery for years from a serious drug and alcohol addiction, and she raised two beautiful humans now in their 20s in the meantime. Evelyn is also black, and she is a woman, and she is not rich. And I have no doubt in the least that those last three things contributed to the fact that a year ago, after a second hip replacement, Evelyn suffered debilitating pain for months and months before any doctor finally believed her that something had gone wrong with the surgery and ordered a bone scan. The hip was badly infected and displaced. Evelyn is not a person of means, as I said. And Ardell had encouraged her to reach out to an attorney friend in Little Rock for help. And her text on Thursday said the lawyer our friend had referred her to said she had a case, but he just couldn't take it right now. And Ardell started to weep for her friend Evelyn and for this world that seems to care so little about her pain. But, and I'm not sure I've ever quoted a text message in a sermon before, this is, Eve this is what Evelyn said. Ardell said she loved her. She texted back, I love you too, always. I was disappointed, but not broken. It was worth another try. I may never know, but it's been said that karma is a word I can't say in a sermon. But then she said this, I cannot say what kind of heart that doctor has, but it seems like he didn't care about what was happening to me. If that was so, He'll reap what he sows. I sure thought of the wrongs I'd done in my life. But what you going to do? Stay prayed up and be the best person you can and always keep in mind God is still in control. That's my mantra these days anyways. Okay, Ardell replied. Well, I'm going to turn to your mantra in the coming days. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it, Evelyn typed right back. And even as I typed this out so I could tell it to all of you, it felt like Jesus was taking me by the shoulders yet again, wrenching me around to say, there it is. Do you see the Holy Spirit in that woman? All I've ever wanted from all the prayers you've ever prayed is for a little more of what burns in her to burn a little more brightly in you. Once upon a time, there was a man who heard a knock at his door at midnight. A visitor had arrived, and he had no bread to serve him. So he went to a friend's house and began to bang on the door for three loaves to set before his friend. This man, he wouldn't be satisfied until he'd gotten what he needed to extend hospitality to the stranger in his house. So he knocked, and he knocked, and he knocked into the night. What is prayer, Jesus says? It's him. It's her. It's that generous, persistent, 
hopeful, hospitable, holy spirit that this whole round world of closed doors and cruel indifference will never snuff entirely out. That, my friends, says Jesus, that is prayer. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.